I I hear you. I don't hear Jake. Is Jake talking? Jake said he was going to mute for a minute to listen to Mike Houston, the JMU coach, talk about Delaware. Just right, oh. real quick before we get started. I guess he just popped on the show. Okay. Is he... Uh... <clears throat> Okay. I'm here. I'm just listening to him talk. Oh, it works. All right. Hey, Jake. Hey. So we're at Harrisonburg, right? Yeah. So, uh, that'd be, that's sick. That was, that was, I mean, I, after looking at the stuff last night, I wasn't really surprised to see them make it. Like, it kind of just seemed like, there weren't that many teams that had more wins than them. But James Madison, I just wasn't expecting that. I mean, I think like the fact that Incarnate Word and Elon <laughs> made it, if we would if, if we if Elon would have made it, we didn't. Right. Uh, if if other teams who had better records, like the fact that Princeton went undefeated and they're not in the FCS, that makes me a little upset. Yeah. My dad just texted like, me, what if what if they have to go to Fargo and we have to go back? If they catch fire, I don't know about that, but we'll see. Oh wow, yeah, that would be because they'd be they'd, ha- they'd beat Colgate. They'd go to Colgate, and then after that would be North Dakota, right? Yeah, it'd be Fargo, and then either either Kennesaw State or South Dakota State. Could you imagine? We catch fire. We have to go to Colgate. We have to go to North Dakota State again. You have to go to Fargo again. And then you have to go to <laughs> South Dakota State. You have to go to Bismarck or wherever that is. Is that is it Bismarck, South Dakota? I don't know. And then you end up be, in Weber State. You go to the home of Dame Lillard. <laughs> oh, right. That is Weber State. Where is Weber State? That's like out west, right? Actually, it's actually at Frisco, Frisco Texas at Toyota Stadium. That's where the That's where the final is. All right. But I'm not sure where Weber State is. I also need to look up where South Dakota State is. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's see what happens with James Madison. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should just. I think we should just know. I think they might be in Bismarck. Yeah. They so Jake, are... you're in. Yeah. All right. Okay. So so we'll start. We'll start with what just happened on the show, and then later in the podcast, we'll go back to the Villanova game. Uh, but we'll mm-hmm. start just with the matchup. Uh, all of the CAA teams making it and that sort of thing. And then eventually we'll transition. And this probably will end up being a little <laughs> bit longer than most of our pods, uh, which I think is fine. I think it's justified. Since I it's have about historic. 20 to 25 minutes, and then I have to go uh, run to a lunch with my grandparents. So I have about 20, 25 minutes. Okay. So if you have to, if you have to hop off, just say, I got to go. Yep. And gotcha. Josh and I can continue. Yeah, Hopefully I'm we'll get through the big five. news off the top and then the game. You know, we can just kind of go through that later. Yeah. Yeah, how about, I mean, because I was there for the game. Jake, you probably followed along, but you probably, you weren't there. So, um, yeah, we can cover game stuff afterwards, and then we can do just you. And if, even if you, like, if you wanted to take most of the talking about the FCS stuff since you were watching the show, you want to talk about that, Jake, and then I can kind of come in more strongly. Yeah, I mean, we can we can just round table the yeah. FCS talk, and then once okay. we start finishing FCS talk around that 120, 125 time block, uh, Brandon will transition, and then I'll kind of slip out. But I do want to say a few things about the game. So yeah, say, yeah. Over and then Oops. peace out. All right, sounds good. All right, here we go.
Welcome to an emergency episode of the Delaware Football Roundup podcast by WVUD Sports. I'm Brandon Halvek. Today, joined on the phone by Josh Steele and Jake Lampert, both home for the Thanksgiving break, but happy to have them on the line to break down the big news just a few moments ago as we record this at 1 o'clock Sunday afternoon. Delaware, for the first time since the 2010 season, will be playing in the FCS playoffs. In the first round, the Blue Hens will be matched up against a familiar foe, the James Madison Dukes. James Madison this season, 8-3 and three overall, 6-2 and two in CAA play. Delaware this season finishes the year with a record of 7-4 and four overall and 5-3 and three in CAA play, following their season-closing loss against Villanova 42-21 to yesterday afternoon. Guys, we'll get to that Villanova game at the end of the show, but first, your initial reactions to Delaware, first making the playoffs for the first time in forever, breaking the program record drought, and then the matchup that they get, the CAA's James Madison Dukes. Yeah, we did it. Woo! <laughs> By the skin of our teeth, Delaware was able to make it in. Um, there are, I think there are only about two teams who maybe record wise were worse than us at six and four. That's incarnate word. Three, old, uh, three, six win teams, <laughs> three. Okay. Three, six win teams, including Elon as well. So six CAA teams in there. Um, that's just, I mean, unbelievable that, I mean, people have always compared the CAA to basically like the SEC of the FBS, uh, and us, of course, in the FCS, uh, very strong conference. So the fact that there were six of us. Uh, wild, but and the fact that Delaware was able to lose as bad as they did yesterday and still hold on to a playoff spot, it just baffles me. I mean, I had to have a, a bit of a negative vibe here, and when we talked about it uh, before, Brandon, it was almost as if, sure, Delaware will lose this game. It's pretty confident that they'll make it in, and it got a lot more uh, surefire after a lot of the other games finished up, especially that Stony Brook against Albany absolute thriller, uh, which I was actually watching. Uh, on the ride home, but it's almost as if you kind of feel a little bit more energy now because we pulled JMU and JMU is not the matchup we wanted to see. I could probably pick 15 to 20 other teams that we want to play. That's not named JMU. Give me any other CAA team. Um, and I'd rather them, but you kind of get that energy. They're like, all right, we're playing JMU. We played them to the best of our ability last year. Our team on paper is better than it was last year. And with all due respect, JMU's not as good as they were last year. At least I don't think JMU's as good as they were last year. So overall, like I'm upset because we've lost, and I think we could have probably gotten the two C or even a seeded. Uh, it should have we uh, won the CAA, but nonetheless, we pulled JMU. I'm excited and I'm ready to get out there. Yeah, Josh, you mentioned it's six CAA teams, which is a record. No conference has sent that many teams to the FCS playoffs. Ever, uh, excuse me, the CAA for the past four seasons had sent four teams to the playoffs. It only gets one first round by. It only gets one of the top eight seeds. That goes to Maine, the number seven seed, who will get a first round by in the tournament. James Madison, a few people thought, could maybe push for that last eighth seed. It ends up going to Colgate, which will be the team the winner of James Madison in Delaware will visit in the second round of the tournament. The Dukes were CAA champions for three consecutive seasons, which is a very difficult feat. They won the national championship in 2016, taking down the North Dakota State Bison, who beat Delaware pretty handedly this season in Fargo at the end of non-conference play. James Madison in 2018 finishes with eight wins, six in conference play. Their big loss came against Elon at the beginning of October, a 27-24 defeat. That was when the Phoenix had starting quarterback Davis Cheek and starting running back Malcolm Summers healthy. 
That Elon team, though, does make the playoffs as the sixth CAA team with just six wins overall and four in conference play. Jake, you mentioned it. James Madison's not as good as they've been in previous seasons, but it is a team that Delaware has struggled against, quite frankly, in the past few years. Last year's game was close, 20-10, to 10, but the Blue Hens have not defeated the Duke since 2014. That was a 30-23 to 23 victory, led by quarterback Trent Hurley, who had 295 passing yards and three touchdowns in that game. Wes Hills, you'll remember that name, also had over 100 rushing yards in the matchup against James Madison. That's the last time the Blue Hens defeated them. It's in Harrisonburg. It's obviously not going to be easy. Delaware's got a two-game losing streak, their first of the season. But as you look at this matchup early, what do you guys see between the Blue Hens and the Dukes? I'll let Jake take this one. I mean, it's. I feel like it's going to be a shootout, and that's kind of ironic because Delaware is built on defense, and last year kind of really showcased that as they held JMU to the lowest point total of the season. But this was a JMU team that just racked up almost 600 total yards against Towson, given Towson's not as strong as a defensive team as the Blue Hens are, and they're stronger on the offensive end. But if we're going to try to beat Towson, they put up three 100-yard rushers against Towson. We are not going to be able to contain three 100-yard rushers. I, I don't really care what world the readers are on and Charles Bell is on, that offensive line, Ray Jones, what they're doing out there. We are going to have to match JMU shot for shot, score for score. Do I think we can do that? Yeah. I mean, I really do think we have an offense that can ignite and can play at a competitive level. But will we? That's a different story. The Delaware offense has been shown to be streaky. Um, They sometimes don't utilize certain players in certain key positions, whether it be a two-yard run that we need Kanai Kane to do or a five-yard gain on first down or second down that we're going to just do a Charles Star fly route, their probably best play on the offensive end. That's kind of the matchup I'm seeing. I'm seeing a shootout, and it's just going to see if Delaware can match JMU shot for shot, score for score, against a team that can pull out all the stops on the offensive end. And I see I see three things in this JMU game. One, who's at quarterback? I think that's the biggest question mark coming into this one. Obviously, Pat Kehoe leaving the game yesterday with concussion-like symptoms. He had to sit out for the rest of the game and watch as J.P. Caruso and Nolan Henderson led the charge late in that game. Caruso for a drive or two, and then Nolan Henderson for most of it. Um, and that's that's a, the probably the biggest question is, are they going to sh- throw out redshirt freshman Nolan Henderson um, against JMU? They've got a week to decide that or if Pat Kehoe is going to come back in full force, depending on his concussion symptoms. Number two, what hey, is Josh, the can I hop in there real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Take it. Rocco also said after the game against Villanova yesterday that Pat Kehoe has been playing with a partially torn ACL, an injury that dates back to the Blue Hens game against New Hampshire on October 20th. If you remember, he got hit and he fumbled toward the end of the game. Delaware had the game in hand, so he did not return, but he's played in every game since and taken every snap in every game since until the Villanova game. So that's another component to this. He left the game because of the concussion symptoms, but Kehoe has also been playing with a partially torn ACL. Uh, So that's something that the Blue Hens will surely monitor as this week progresses as they head into the matchup. I mean, that also makes sense given the fact that since that New Hampshire game, um, I mean, really, he struggled. Towson, yeah, I mean, Towson, he played well. Um, but then immediately after that, um, he's, he's been struggling these last three weeks. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, and my, my second point was going to be the running back situation with 
Kanai Kane hardly seeing any snaps. He was out-snapped handily by Andre Robinson, the transfer from Penn State. So not sure what the deal is with Kanai Kane. I'm yeah, Josh, sure I'm actually going to hop in there again. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt well, you. Yeah. Um, I've, I've found out since the end of yesterday's game that Kane had a brace on his knee, so dealing with a lower leg injury. Not sure the extent of the injury. It, it did not seem to occur in the game against Stony Brook, but maybe it did. I'm not exactly sure, but it was partially due to injury that Kane was active. He did play a couple of snaps, but Delaware knew coming in that they were going to have to lean on Dejon Lee a little bit more. Uh, and then I'm sure, as you mentioned, Josh, ending up with Andre Robinson a lot at the end of yeah. the game uh, against Villanova yesterday. Yeah, and that was the that was the bigger question was Dejon Lee rushed well. I think he had somewhere around 20 carries uh, for almost 100 yards uh, and two touchdowns. He played extremely well uh, in that system with Caruso and, I mean, in the beginning with Pat Kehoe before he got knocked out of the game. Um, and then really it was the, the Henderson-Robinson uh, combination that really threw a lot of people for, for curveballs on that first couple of drives because, you know, there was no Dejan Lee. There was no Kanai Kane. They were, they were pulling Andre Robinson in, who really hasn't seen that many snaps before that game. And then he was almost their lead back. Um, and so that's, that was my number two. My number three is where was the defense? This is a Villanova team that's not incredibly or like incredibly talented on the offensive side, but this is a Delaware team that is supposed to be one of the best defenses in the CAA. And they were just non-existent, um, giving up 42 points to Villanova on their home field. So that that's definitely a question that they're going to have to address going into Harrisonburg next week. Uh, can they actually stand up against the Dukes, or are they just going to let those dogs run all over them? Nolan Henderson in the game yesterday, 12 of 20 passing for a little over 100 yards. Also had a few nice plays with his legs, uh, but did only gain 36 total yards on 10 attempts because he was pressured a lot, especially toward the end of the game when Delaware fell back. Jake, as you look at it, Let's say Pat Kehoe can't go, uh, and the conversation comes to J.P. Caruso, last year's starter for the final five games of the season, or redshirt freshman Nolan Henderson, who played in his first real collegiate game. He'd made a couple appearances in garbage time earlier this season, but gets his first pass attempt, his first touchdown against Villanova in the last game of the season. Which guy do you press into action if the Blue Hens are without Kehoe for the game against James Madison? I mean, and I never thought I'd say this, but I almost kind of want Joe Walker. I don't because one, I don't think you can do that. Yeah, well, we know what happens, and two, that void that he's going to leave on the outside of the field, it's it's more detrimental to put him at quarterback than to have uh, Henderson or Caruso and just keep Joe Walker out there. So, I would probably say to put out Caruso. Because this is kind of giving off that Stony Brook vibe when he came in last year, crunch time behind, and he needed to get something done. I, not that I don't like Henderson, and I do I think Henderson is a better quarterback? Yes, but I think Russo kind of has um, most, if not all, of his rookie jitters out of his system. Um, will he still make mistakes? Sure. But it won't be as bad as maybe a Henderson just throwing into double coverage kind of thing. So I would probably put Caruso out there. I won't be confident about it, and that just shows how big of a gap, um, maybe not play style, but confidence-wise, we are in Pat Kehoe over some of these backup guys. Um, I disagree. I think that throwing in Nolan Henderson would be the right choice. The only problem is they need to fix his fumbling issue. 
he wasn't necessarily errant in his passing. There was one or two plays that could have been intercepted, one that should have been intercepted. You'll remember that play, Brandon. But um, I think that overall, you mentioned 12 of 12 of 20. He did throw a big 43-yard touchdown pass to Joe Walker. Um, and then they started they started working in other wide receivers as well. They started working in uh, Tylen McElhenney um, on that that right side uh, for a couple of plays near the end. Um, and then obviously we started seeing Jamie Jarman again, um, someone who's definitely going to get more reps. And so if push comes to shove and they do, do need to throw Joe Walker in a quarterback, I know that's crazy to talk about, but uh, Jake, it's not so far off because of the fact that they do have Jarman back. They they were throwing in Tylen McElhenney. So uh, this is a, this is a, a team that has three or four wide receivers. If you throw in uh, Papali and Gene Coleman as well, and then of course Charles Scarf and uh, Bryce Damali at tight end, and Owen Tyler in there in the mix too. MJ Kehoe. So um, this is a team that has a lot of targets. So if they did have to throw Joe Walker in at QB, even if it's just for those Wildcat style offensive uh, drives that they've been doing recently. That's something that we didn't see yesterday. If they do decide to throw him in at quarterback sometimes to just try to give him different looks, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the most surprising thing is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I, I do agree with that, but I, as I kind of, I'm thinking over it now and I kind of mentioned it, the disparity of offensive talent that would arise if Joe Walker was no longer on the outside, no disrespect to any Papali. Um, should Jamie Jarman return to Jamie Jarman form and Charles Scarf. But Joe Walker brings something that no one else in the, in the Delaware uniform brings on the offensive end. And we need him to be able to bring that. And at quarterback, especially against JMU, where they're just going to key in, should Pat Kehoe not be able to do it, they're going to stick an extra man in the box almost the entire game. Joe Walker's not going to have much to work with. So I now, in, in retrospect, um, I don't know if Joe Walker would be able to, and I wouldn't even be surprised if they don't even run a single Wildcat for him because they really do need Joe Walker to spread the field a little more for their young quarterback, whether it be Henderson or Caruso. So I think Joe Walker, and we've said his name so many times that it's starting to see that he's he's the X factor. He's the big make or break for the Delaware team as they play JMU. To me, I'm I'm kind of excited to see if it would be Nolan Henderson. I think it's tough to do it in a week, but I think you get the highest upside with him of many, maybe even all three quarterbacks in this conversation, at least more upside than Caruso. Um, Pacquiao has performed very well against teams like Towson, but had struggled recently. And if he's not at full strength, um, Henderson could still be the top option, in my opinion, because if you have just a game manager quarterback in this game, a guy who, like Caruso did last year, is 10 of 15 passing for 120 yards. You're not going to beat this JMU team. They're the number one scoring defense in the CAA. They're the number one offense in the CAA in terms of yardage gained per per game. And in my opinion, and I think you guys share this opinion too, even though Maine gets the automatic bid, I think that JMU is the best team in this conference this season. They're not as good as they've been in the past couple of years, but they're still the best team in this conference. So to me, if Nolan Henderson can create some plays that nobody else can, I think he's the... Josh, you and I were talking about this before and after the game. He might be the fastest guy on this offense, and that's including yep. Joe Walker. I mean, he has burst. He has twitch. He has acceleration that we haven't seen from anybody else on this team. If you can do some things with your offense to design around his abilities, make some easier reads, cut the field in half, get him rolling out on bootlegs that they do a lot with Pat Kehoe and get him running a little bit more read option than they have had in the past couple of weeks with Kehoe. I think he offers upside. Now, could he throw three interceptions and Delaware loses by 30? 
absolutely. But I think with 120 yards against this good JMU team and based on the way that the defense hasn't been able to stop anybody this past couple of weeks, especially yesterday against Villanova where they give up 459 total yards, Henderson might be the best bet. Yeah, you mentioned it. His 0-60 to rivals Dejon Lee. It rivals any of the wide receivers on this team, even any of the cornerbacks. Um, just simply his his speed in and of itself. I mean, Jake mentioned that Joe Walker um, out on the outside to stretch the field is an X factor. Nolan Henderson's legs might be X, X, X squared factor uh, just because of the fact. Yeah, that my he, math degree, that doesn't. That's not <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Still, I mean, uh, he's got so much he's got so much potential to be a dual threat quarterback that keeps that keeps this JMU defense on their toes. I mean, obviously we want Delaware to step up and not get have give up three 100 yard rushers, which is going to be a very similar situation to what we saw against Stony Brook with Jordan Gowans and Donald Leotine going in that that one two punch. I think Leotine had somewhere around 170 yards. Gowan was somewhere around 85 but if, if JMU throws out three 100-yard rushers, Delaware is going to need three of their own. And I think that if Kanai Kane, uh, Dijon Lee, and Nolan Henderson play up to their potential and get used in the way they need to be used on that offensive side, we might have three 100-yard rushers as well. So, I mean, it, it's, it's not completely out of the norm. Dejon Lee was close to it yesterday. Kanai Kane, at his best, has uh, eclipsed that 100-yard mark multiple times. And Nolan Henderson, had he played the whole game, had he had sets given directly to him, and had they played him in this offense the way that he could be used for years to come, he could be a 100-yard rusher as well. He honestly reminds me of um, Easton Stick from North Dakota State in the fact that he is such a threat to run on every play that even if he doesn't, he can still drop back and hit a 43-yard sprinting Joe Walker across the middle of the field. Jake, I want to get you... I was just... I know you have to go in a couple minutes, so I want to get you in here just on any thoughts you have on yesterday's game at large or the playoff ranking today, the playoff seeding in Delaware making its first playoff appearance in the last seven seasons. I think it's great. I'm obviously... um, negative on it because we ended on a terrible note and I think we actually got rated a little high uh, based on what we did this season but nonetheless we got rated we're in there we have a playoff seed uh, and I think it's great I think the team is prepared for it I think we have a bit to work on before we face uh, JMU or go visit JMU to play them but we made it that's the first step everything else you know it we you hear it all the time when we think of sports the regular season means a lot and translates a lot to the playoffs, but playoffs are playoffs. You see different things. People play at different levels when they know the playoffs are on the line, and I think the Blue Hens can do that. All right, Jake. Well, we'll certainly see. I think some Blue Hens fans may be a little upset with the way the Blue Hens have performed the past two seasons when the playoffs have been on the line going into it, but we'll see if getting this bid, if if having jam you a team that – you know, you don't need any extra motivation to try to beat. It's the playoffs. It's a conference rival. It's the class of the CAA. We'll see if that is enough to get the Blue Hens uh, to step up when they face off against them on Saturday. Jake, thank you for joining us on the Delaware Football Roundup. No problem. Enjoy the rest of the podcast.
So Josh, let's go back to the Villanova game as we typically do on this podcast to recap and analyze the game at, at large. Uh, obviously, it doesn't end up having dire consequences for the Blue Hens who do get the postseason bid. But going into this game, the prevailing thought was you win the game, you're 8-3 and three overall, you're 6-2 and two in conference play, you're into the playoffs. Nobody from the CAA has been left out with that record. If you lose, you're on the bubble. It turns out that there are a lot of other teams that didn't help themselves very much on the final week of the season, so Delaware ends up getting in pretty handedly to the playoffs. Uh, but this was as disappointing a game as we've seen from the Blue Hens in the past couple of seasons, in my opinion. 42-21 to 21 is the final score. Delaware's outgained, giving up 459 total yards. They, they couldn't stop the Villanova Wildcats, a team that had just four wins on the season and one in CAA play. How how do you view this game, and has your opinion of this game and this performance changed between the end of the game at about 3 o'clock yesterday and where we sit here today after Selection Sunday? Well, we're in. That's, that's the big thing to take away is that no, that huge loss at home to a lesser opponent did not affect our playoff chances as much as we thought they would. That's number one. Number two, we have to do something to stop the run game. That I, I've I've seen it happen multiple games. I mean, it was um, the running back from from Towson that tore us. Shane apart. Simpson, huge Shane game Simpson from him. Was a, I think it was 125 yards, and he also devoured us on special teams. Like I mentioned um, at Stony Brook, Jordan Gowans, Donald Leotine destroyed us, and then yesterday Aaron Forbes ran all over us. My roommates were texting in the group chat. They were following along, listening to the broadcast. And they said, can someone stop this Forbes guy? <laughs> and I mean, it, 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 it's true. I mean, I, I chuckled watching, like listening, uh, seeing that text during the broadcast because it, it was true. And then immediately right after he scored that touchdown to make it 42 to 21. But he ran all over the Blue Hens yesterday. And we have to stop the run. We have some some solid plays where we do over-under coverage with Ray Jones and, and Kenny Adewusi on that right side. Or, you know, we, we, we can actually defend these, these, these pass plays that they throw at us. But when it comes to the run game, they're getting these huge chunks of yardage, 15, 20, 25 yards. And they flip the field in a matter of six plays just by hitting our defensive line, which is probably the weakest part of our defense. I think that the, sometimes the secondary can step up, but overall they've played a pretty decent year this year. The biggest problem that I've seen is this defensive line, not giving pressure to the quarterback and not attacking the running back right at the line of scrimmage. And that defensive line could continue to struggle and get a little bit worse. Cam Kitchen left the game yesterday with an injury. We don't know the extent of the injury, but he did not return at least in my opinion, he's been by far their most productive defensive lineman. He had an interception against New Hampshire, had the first in his career. He almost had one against Villanova yesterday. It, it, it does fall on guys like Caleb Ashworth, Frank Burton, Armand Ware, who's now back from injury, Brandon Hall, to step up along the defensive line because, as you mentioned, they've just been gashed by the running game. And it's something that we saw last year, too. Aaron Forbes, 138 yards yesterday, three touchdowns against Delaware in 2017, 140 yards on the ground. So they didn't do any better against him with their playoff hopes still on the line. What have you seen from the secondary? You mentioned that a lot of the times it hasn't fallen back on them, but they do give up that huge 81-yard play early in the game to McClinton. Uh, You saw them yesterday rotating in a few more defensive backs than we typically see. Adewusi and Hinton started at corner 
but we saw a decent amount of Nigel Hill, and we also saw Justice Henley for really the first time this season. What are you seeing from the secondary, and what can they adjust before the James Madison game? Communication. That's the biggest thing. Giving up those 81, that 81 yard play was just a miscommunication of who was guarding um, McClinton, right? That was his name. Yeah. Um, yeah. That number 81 uh, for Villanova. I mean, that was, or something like that. We could cut that part, whatever. <laughs> that 81 yard play, it came down to communication. That was the, that was the biggest thing was that, I don't know if it was the safety not talking with the corner or just not knowing where the zone ended and the other began, but the coverage was not there. And that's been a lot of the problems. Specifically, we saw a play that almost could have been six had the the wide receiver uh, De Silva. He was in the wildcat formation. He ran up, he took two steps, and then he threw it over the middle to Forbes. And Forbes could have had an easy 60-yard touchdown had he just reeled in the catch. He didn't. It, it ended up going, I think it, it went for six eventually, but not before that, that play fell incomplete. So um, just this team needs better communication in the secondary. It's hard when you are transitioning in guys like Nigel Hill, guys like Justice Henley, um, switching between Malcolm Brown and, and Nasir Adderley at safety. Um, and that's the, the other thing is I think if we saw more of Malcolm Brown and Nasir Adderley, this team would play a lot better in the secondary, maybe switch to three down linemen um, and play two safeties. I know that that's not Danny Rocco's well, favorite they, thing. They both have, they have them in their, in their base defense of a, a three, four alignment where Ray Jones is technically considered a linebacker, but he's playing out in space a lot of the time in that bandit role. And your secondary yeah. is Hinton, Adewusi at corners and, Adderley and Brown at safety. So are you saying get into a little bit more nickel where you you bring an extra defensive back, whether that is Ray Jones, like we saw him um, against North Dakota State at least a couple of times. They saw Ray Jones slide to safety. You had four down linemen against the Bison for a little bit, and Malcolm Brown moving from safety to his former position, cornerback. Are you saying get more defensive backs on the field against James Madison or simply adjust the way that the current base defense uh, is aligned because that's pretty much what Delaware stays in every single play because of the versatility of a uh, Ray Jones or a Colby reader at outside linebacker. And I also, I think that just ultimately switching that up, either putting more, putting four down linemen and, or putting Ray Jones on the line um, to be able to bring more pressure. That's it, it's really a, some it's a hard balance between wanting to bring pressure and wanting to have coverage and whether it means showing pressure and then dropping back in coverage. Um, I really liked what Kedrick Whitehead was able to do yesterday coming in for Ray Jones when he went down for an injury, he's going to be transitioning into that bandit role um, that you mentioned yesterday. Danny Rocco says is the hardest on his defense, but I think ultimately just finding a balance between throwing multiple corner, throwing in a nickel corner, you know, throw, having those two safeties, putting four down linemen, putting Hall and Ware and Burton and Ashworth down there uh, if Kitchen is not available, and just varying the looks that they give this JMU team. I think we've been, we've been seeing a very similar defense these last couple of weeks, and in tape, it stays the same too. And so these teams have been able to see the looks that Delaware is giving, and then 
uh, game plan for them and then exploit them. And so this Delaware team ultimately needs to bring more pressure, whether that's bringing someone like Ray Jones on a blitz, whether that means bringing someone, um, even if it means Troy Reader, Colby Reader, Charles Bell, bringing them on a blitz as well, finding ways to to bring pressure, but still make sure that that coverage is there to avoid against a deep a bomb down the field. Let's switch over to the offense now. In the last three games, I, I marked this down, the passing game has really struggled for the Blue Hens. They've completed 42 of their 94 pass attempts. That's a completion percentage of just 447 In the last three games, they've averaged 161 yards per game through the air. So that's still better than they were a season ago where they averaged 124 yards per game in the air. But then you look at the running game, which has really regressed. And we talked about it a little bit off the top of the show, how they can establish the running game or reestablish the running game, whether it is Dejan Lee or Kanai Kane that gets the bulk of the touches next weekend. They've really struggled in that department, and it's it's been a consistent theme across this season. They've had a couple of games where these guys flash, but it's really been not the same as the second-best running attack that the Blue Hens had in the CAA in 2017 and 2016, this year averaging three yards per carry. Last season, that number was 4.2. In 2016, that number was 5.2. So the Blue Hens' offense regressing on the ground, and now that the passing game has come back down to earth, Ever since the game against Towson, they've struggled to put points on the board consistently. They're also struggling right now on third down conversions. Right now, a rate of 28.6 across their past three games. On the season, that number is at 36, which is down from their 42% conversion percentage in 2017. The quarterback situation is going to dictate a lot of what Delaware can do in game plan for against James Madison, but what you saw against Villanova, um, you know, how did, how did they perform? What went wrong for the Blue Hens offensively against Villanova? And then if, you, if they can, what are some ways that they can get the offense back going? Well, they had a, a tried and true method of giving the ball to Dejon Lee and having him pick up these big chunks of yards. Uh, I don't know if you have the stats handy from Dejon Lee's game yesterday. I know he had those two touchdowns, and there was a point in the game where he was averaging about five yards a carry, had about 100 yards. Do you have those stats with you? Yeah, Dejon Lee, uh, 94 yards, which was a team high, his season high as well, on 14 carries. Yeah, that's that's huge. So he had, well, that's that's somewhere around seven yards a carry to go with two touchdowns. But then they just stopped feeding him the ball. Yeah, I would say some of I would say some of it comes to the way they fell back. I was thinking about this a little bit yesterday. I think the Robinson over Lee, some of that can be attributed to pass protection. If they feel better with Robinson in there than Lee when they fall behind by two or three touchdowns. Um, but when there's still time in the game, when there's you're still in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter, you're down by two scores. I don't know if I'd go away from Lee quite as quick as they did. Um, but I see oh, why Robinson were- at the end of the game was in there. And I, I see it at the end of the game. You're right. But when Pat Kehoe first goes down, they throw in Robinson and and Henderson together. And I don't know if that's just a, a comfort, them both being third stringers and him feeling more confident with him in, as a side saddle. I don't know if that's what it was at all. But if they had Dejon Lee in there for the first two or three drives, they were just trying to do these little read option plays. I mean, Henderson didn't. It was throw very conservative when Henderson first yeah. came into the game. Exactly. And if they would have had Dejon Lee and then they would have broken a, a, you know, a huge chunk of yardage off with how fast Nolan Henderson is. I think if there was a couple of plays in that game, especially on offense, 
where things could have, especially drives. There was one where I, I went at Danny Rocco and said, why didn't you go for it there? It was, I think it was fourth and three from the 40. And then they fourth and two. Pusher, fourth and two from the 40. And they were, that was the drive where they were able to pin them. And then they give up the 81 yard pass and Villanova it's, scores it, anyway. Yeah. And I think that's when, I think that's when the game went to like 21 to seven. Somewhere, somewhere I think it was around 14 there. to seven, but I mean, then they, Still. then they go three and out and then, or actually then the next drive, Kehoe has the interception. They set up and Villanova on a short field, and then that's when it's 21-7. to 7. So when Henderson enters the game, you're down two touchdowns. But that was the thing was Kehoe got knocked out on that next drive. So they could have gone for it. They could have been aggressive. Villanova was being aggressive the entire game, and Delaware did not match their intensity. And from that point, JMU is going to be – they're going to be ferocious. This is a team that's mad that they don't have the bye. This is a team that's mad that they went eight and three. But Delaware needs to be a team that's mad that they went seven and four. That's mad that they're on a two-game losing streak. And that's mad that they're losing six or seven seniors on both sides of the ball. That's going to be their last game if they don't win. Right. They should have been playing with that same intensity last this or I guess this past week against Nova, but they weren't. And this is a team that on senior day let down their seniors. And they need to go back into Harrisonburg next week and say, this is not who we are. We are better than this. We're going to be this seven and 14 and we're going to take down the giant. That is the James Madison Dukes. And then we're going to move on. They need to play with a fire in their bellies. But right now that fire is gone. It is absolutely ice cold and they need to find a way to turn it around or else they're going to be going home and losing 14 of their best players. I think that's definitely a lesson in being aggressive against James Madison. Giving them long fields probably isn't going to help because how many times are the Blue Hens going to be able to slow down the Dukes' offense? They'll have to take chances in order to keep up with them with Delaware's own offense. Josh, we're running low on time here uh, in the studio, so I'll just put this uh, to you here. I thought you said it eloquently got to play with the fire against James Madison. This is the first time you're in the playoffs in in seven seasons when you're the Blue Hens. You've lost to Villanova 12 of the last 13 meetings. What do you expect to see? You've said what needs to happen. What do you expect to see as we sit here about a week out from the James Madison game? Look, I've given this team the benefit of the doubt this entire season. I said that we were going to go 9-2 and or 10-1. and We ended up 7-4. and losing two games at the end that we easily could have won, losing a game against URI the first week that we easily could have won. I'm not going to give them the benefit of the doubt anymore. This team is going to go into Harrisonburg, and they are going to play the same way that they have been. They're not going to be aggressive, and it's going to teach them a lesson for next year. I'm hoping that I'm proven wrong. I really hope that they go in there and they are ferocious and they prove what that Blue Hen state of mind really is. But in my heart of hearts, I know that if they don't play up to that level of intensity and they don't play with a, a little bit of ballsy football, that this is going to be a team that's going to go home to Newark on that night and they might not see the playoffs until they realize how aggressive they truly need to be to win in the CAA. All right, that'll do it for the Delaware Football Roundup. Thanks for listening all throughout the season, and we will continue our coverage throughout the playoffs as far as Delaware goes. A quick programming note, we will not have our Thursday show, Blue Hen Sports Gauge, because of the holiday, so please go spend 
a nice Thanksgiving uh, evening with your friends and family. We will maybe have another podcast leading up to that James Madison game to give a little bit more of a preview as we hear from head coach Danny Rocco tomorrow and throughout the week and a few more of Delaware's players if we have anything else to mention on the matchup. And then we'll do our best. I'm not exactly sure if we'll be able to have a broadcast from Harrisonburg. It depends on how many other media entities are trying to get something out from there, but it is a big press box, so we're hopeful that we'll have a 91.3 WVD broadcast of Delaware's playoff game, their first since the 2010 season against the James Madison Dukes in Harrisonburg next Saturday afternoon. Thanks for listening to the Delaware Football Roundup. Talk to you guys soon.